Hi, and welcome to the G&J Show. I'm Gerhard. And I'm Joss. As married couples, we all want strong marriages and healthy families. But what can we do to be that couple and family we've always dreamed to be? Our show is dedicated to helping you improve your marriage, strengthen your family, and encourage you to live your best life. We discuss practical resources and books and have conversations with other couples to find winning strategies and methods for your marriage and family. Today's episode is with a special guest, uh, Patrick Sullivan. Patrick is the founder of Evango, a missionary organization dedicated to the new evangelization. Patrick's also married with eight kids, so he has lots of experience in uh, both marriage and uh, family. Uh, just a quick note before we dive into this this conversation that we had with him, uh, Skype did an absolutely terrible job at uh, recording our conversation, uh, so please bear with the audio. At times, it's uh, a little funky, so you have been warned. All right, let's get started. How how did you and your wife meet? And then, like, tell us, share us with us a little bit about the the story of going from where you started dating, engaged, married, raising a family to now uh, working as a, a full-time missionary in uh, for a ministry that you started. In a few simple words. <laughs> no pressure. Our version is um, very early on, about, uh, 19 years old. My sister set me up for a blind date. And uh, the person I met with, my one, Isla, and that room the tone for our marriage to come and for our lives up to this point, which is um, life can be scary, but if you know what's right, you need to take the risk. That's how I felt walking into that restaurant many years ago. <laughs> this is scary. It's a risk, but uh, it may be worth it. And Kyle and I have taken that approach to uh, our marriage together when God has called us to various things, to leave paid work, to leave secured work slowly over the years. Uh, he's been forming us in that. And it's always been, we've heard in our, our own hearts, go back to the beginning. And Kyle and I know that means in the beginning we were bold, uh, even though we were afraid and we trusted the Lord and we went where he called us. So we continue to do that. Uh, at this point in our lives, we've been married 13 years and uh, that's how we ended up full-time ministry because it was one afternoon of, do you trust me? Will you take this step? Will you go? And we've always said to each other, we'll never ever hear the voice of the Lord and not obey. So that has landed us here where we rely almost entirely on uh, donations that come in to help with fund uh, all our work as Evango and uh, book sales and places where I go to speak that helps to basically feed the family and keep the mission going. So God has been good. He's always faithful. Uh, in a word, our marriage, everything is about risk and it's about trust. So that's, that's where we're starting from and that's where we continue to be. So going off that, like what has been your biggest struggle in your marriage? I think right from the beginning and still to a certain degree exists today is, we have to and had to assert that our dream for our family, our dream for our marriage was worth pursuing even when everyone else said it can't be done or they said it's not worth it. I remember early on when we were engaged, we met an older couple, much older couple, and the, the woman surprised us because they'd been married 30 years. And the woman says, no, said to us, 
Don't be so excited. One day you'll learn not to love yourself. We couldn't believe it, but this person and many others since then have been opposed to the dream that we have, which is a lifetime of joy, a lifetime, even through the sadness, a lifetime of trust in each other and what God has planned for us. So that was kind of surprising. And it's a challenge because in our extended families, um, well, we're doing something. I think you two might be the same. I'm not exactly sure, but we're kind of carving out this route for ourselves that many others too hard. Definitely definitely we see that in in for ourselves. I mean, we've got uh, three boys and there'll be three boys under two and a half. And most people look at like, look at us like we're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We do feel crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But at at the same time, it's in in a parallels in many ways, because we felt at one point the Lord called us like to step out and go out and uh, go two by two and proclaim the gospel or like build others up. And so we stepped out with Catholic Christian outreach, but an, another an extension of that and uh, a continuation evolution is, is this a part of it is this podcast as well, trying to help others in their marriages and in their families and really truly see that uh, marriage and family is a source of life and a source of joy and not uh, the boat anchor that it, I think it feels like for most of us, most days. Or the jail box, as some people describe it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, chain, the ball and chain. The ball and chain, yeah. And for, for you and Kyla, I imagine there's some days, um, even though like you have this dream that kind of pulls you forward, that there's some days where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is like, <laughs> this is living hell. <laughs> do you have those moments and how do you get out of them? I almost wish we really struggled early on in our marriage because we were looking around and we were, we were struggling. I mean, daily life and marriage and family, you know, raising children is hard. It is. Yeah, <laughs> we talk around people we thought were were doing well or you know seemed happy, and we say, "How are you dealing with these things?" Very often, we got the blank stare, and we yeah. thought, wow, "Wow, something's wrong with us." But uh, the reality was is that people just weren't being as honest as maybe they should have been. Mm-hmm. Everyone struggles. Everyone, there is no exception. Yeah. And in marriage and family life, when I know I can go to bed tonight. When I hit the, the pillow, I could have Caleb, my two year old, waking me up. I could have our little Abigail waking up, crying to, you know, for her mommy's milk. In marriage and, and parenting in particular, it's not easy. But the thing that gets us through is recognizing and that through and in those things, our, our Lord wants to give us peace and joy and wants us to rejoice. That's the secret. That's the key. But He knows this is a struggle. If you step out of the boat, you say, no, our Lord said there won't be any struggles. Well, you haven't read the Gospels. This is going to be hard. And especially as you guys know, if you enter into missionary work, you're basically being an evangelist. You're out there in the, the Lord's vineyard. Guess what? It's going to be even harder. So we need to be honest about what we're struggling with. We need to gather with a community that understands that and is willing to support us and uh, give us tips, give us tricks, give us techniques, what works, what doesn't work, at what age. And when we do that, it, it does get easier. You start getting habits. You start getting routines that you can uh, improve over time. I mean, I imagine your relationship has changed like in, in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do you see each other differently? Um, the role of the husband and wife is to, throughout time, over time, in the muck and mire and joys, is to see what was already there in the beginning of the other, which is a great mystery. And that is the heart of the mother and the heart of the father. 
Remember, Adam looked at Eve and he names her mother of all the living. So in an instant in the Garden of Eden, he can see this great gift of wife, wife, mother, even if there are no children yet. Even if children never come, she has this in her that is a gift to the spouse, a gift to Adam. So over time, that's what's changed for us. Kyla said many times she's been able to look at me and maybe I'm playing with my children or maybe I step in to help uh, with a sick child. She's been able to see that gem emerge and that's helped her to appreciate me more, love me more and vice versa. Over time, that's what I found emerges and it certainly has changed us. It's helped a lot because that gem is a gift from God. So this person becomes in a very real way a, a helpmate, something that we so sorely need in our marriages and especially when we're embarking on this thing called parenting. Um, and uh, within, like, when you started having kids, what uh, what was like your your biggest hurdle in terms of just accepting? I, I think for for us at least, we're we're new parents, but there's a certain point where you're you're just kind of like, okay, there's a there's a new baby, and and you just have to manage diaper changes, you have to manage feeding, and all of a sudden, at a certain point, you're like, wow, I'm a parent, and oh my gosh, I'm a parent, and then there's this <laughs> there's this moment where you're like, I'm a parent, and so like, so when did you really like? I don't know, just take hold of your parenthood and just say, okay, I'm a parent now. Actually, it was inside, and she went off to the shower, came back, there was a calmness, a piece about her, and she says, I, she said, I get it now. I said, you get what? I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> you just had a shower. What are you talking about? She said, it's not about me. And she just repeated a couple times, it's not about me. And I took that as my well, well, you're right. Marriage is not about me. Parenting is not about me. It's all about this great adventure I've been called to. And we didn't know it at the time, but basically we were reiterating the documents of Vatican II. The, the gift that you give of yourself is where you find yourself. This is, again, one of uh, Saint, uh, Pope John Paul's greatest themes. Make a gift of yourself. That's the theology of the body. We had stumbled across, just kind of maybe God gave it to her while she was lathering up. I don't know, but it's not about and once you realize that, it's like, wow, hold on. But I do get to participate in this great adventure. And it changed things for us. Even when it was hard. I mean, when you're climbing a mountain, it's hard. Right? Right. I wouldn't say, well, it's about me. You're going to say, well, I don't like how I feel. But if you say it's about getting to the top of the mountain, it's about the adventure. Suddenly, that pain, the suffering, the struggles, it, it kind of at least fades a bit to the background, doesn't it? Right, mm -hmm. right. We can endure those things. Not because they're pleasant, but because we're actually part of something way bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. So what, because um, I know a lot of couples uh, struggle with uh, communication, particularly when, when the hard times come. Oh, yes. Cu couples struggle like getting through together on this. So what your life has been exceptionally adventurous, let's say. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, what have you and your wife, what Kyla done to... Uh, to pull through all the hard times together and not just like come through the difficulties, like, all right, we survived, but to come through and be stronger uh, out the other side. Well, we've done a couple of things. It's a great question, by the way. Uh, we've done a couple of things. One was we actively sought out support from other couples who are willing to try to live great marriages. So that was a huge thing. Just being able to be around people once a month, you know, who are trying to have great marriages. It doesn't mean they have great marriages. It means they're willing to try. That was, that was definitely a game changer for us. 
So we joined a group called Teams of Our Lady, and they meet together, they pray together, they share a meal, they discuss the real troubles and difficulties of marriage life and parenting. That was a game changer for us. Mm. The second thing was that we, and we still do it today, because just because you get older and have more children, yes, you gain experience and you have more habits that are in place. But we still do this today. We remind each other verbally, and I will say, or she says it, remember, we are a team. Remember, we are a team. Maybe there are other words that go with that, such as I'm not attacking you. Remember, I'm just saying this because we're a team. And when you are well, I am well. Right? Right. There's no winning and losing. There's no winner or loser. There's either both of you win or both of you lose. Build each other up. Find ways, you know, resources on the outside to build each other up. And constantly affirm in a different way, like the love language, even if you will. Right. We talked about the love languages in our last podcast, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And our, our, we have another podcast on the temperaments as well. So we, we are doing, a, a, a how do I say, a series of... Um, yeah, get to know yourself and get to know your spouse. Yeah, yeah. And it's, de- it's definitely a conversation starter because even like we, we did the love languages, we, we took the test maybe before uh, we were married and then we just took it again recently to prepare for the podcast and we thought like, oh, I know, I know your love languages and we thought talking about it, but we, we were wrong. Like we, we, there was yeah. still a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it's, it, you think you know the other person and at a certain point it's like, wow, like you're still somebody I, I don't completely know. That is such an insight. I've seen in my work over the years, I deal with a lot of couples, I deal with a lot of families. I mean, evangelization takes them everywhere. But one of the biggest downfalls, you can see it, it's like a, a mark in the sand. If one or both, you know, spouses say, I already know you, don't speak. Or I know you, don't bother finishing that sentence. And that is one of the worst places to be. I'm saying to your listeners, anyone who hear me, if you're at that point, cast that thought out. There's so much in your spouse you've only yet to discover. You can be married 50 years. And what should be articulated, not I already know you, don't finish the sentence. What should be articulated often and with love is, wow, whenever I'm surprised by Kyla, I make it a point to tell her, I, I didn't know that about you. Or I never, I never thought you'd answer that. We need to know that we still surprise each other and we need to encourage that unearthing of that gem that God has placed in us. Mm. Or a mystery means you can enter in no matter how far you enter into mystery, there's more. Mystery in church language, in church world, doesn't mean I'll, I'll never figure it out. No, mystery in church language means no matter how far you enter in, there's more. And it's the exact mm. same with our marriages. It, there's um i i watched uh i i've been watching joyfully big and then i discovered that your family is on joyfully big <laughs> so, <laughs> that was amusing um so i watched it and I, one one line that comes to mind uh that you said in there was that um, you love how each of your children reveals a new side of your wife of kyla like you get to discover your wife all over again through each of your children you want to talk a little bit, bit about that I think it's such a gift. It really is. I remember early on, I think we had four or five kids in the push to stop having kids. It just came from all angles. Right. And I remember it was almost God moments. The Lord put it in my heart and I said it. I don't, you don't even know who it was, but it struck me. And I said that very line. Every child I've had so far has revealed a very different aspect of Kyla. And I love that. And you're telling me, dear friend, to stop doing that. Well, no, I won't. I'm going back to our own principles. I'm going to risk and trust 
that our Lord wants to show me more of this person I've fallen in love with. Remember, when we love something or someone, we want to know more about it. That's what happens? That's natural. That's human. Your listeners right now, if they love something, guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be learning more about it. It's, it's innate in us. So I was able to shut down many a negative conversation with that very, I think, profound thing that brought to my heart. Well, I want to learn more about the one I love. And these children bring out of her, oh, every time, a new aspect. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, right now we have baby Abigail. And I can see she's, I don't know, she tugs on Kyla's heartstrings in a particular way. And there's a, a new kind of tenderness coming out from Kyla around this new baby. And she's always been tender with the children. But there's something different about this one. And I'm enjoying watching it unfold. That's beautiful. Wow. So, Thanks. You- it's good insight i think um when i I was at a midwife appointment uh last week and uh sorry gary cut you off you can go ahead um and uh i I really like something she said i don't know how theologically correct it is but she says um every every child chooses its parents you know and um so this idea of a child choosing its parents it, it kind of takes it, it, it takes the control aspect out of it and um, gives children this aspect of fate. Like these children come into your life and you have, it's a mystery again. It's these <laughs> children come into your life. You don't know completely why, yeah. you know, you have to take care of them. You know that they're yours, but there's something bigger at stake almost. It's like the whole, like, I don't know. It's almost as if when you talk about fate, it's like the whole world almost depends on this child. I don't know. That sounds kind of exaggerated, but it's, it's the gravity of every soul. Right. And, and we could make it more if you are just by swooping around and saying, God has definitely chosen you to be that child's parent. Right. No other person on the planet was meant to be the one rearing this child. But you, that means you and your spouse have the gifts and the talents and the perseverance necessary to turn this one, to help them move them along. It's like, you know, you give me a garden box and very particular kind of seed for my climate. That's what God does with us. He says, you are perfectly suited to make this bloom. And we all need to keep hearing that because, again, parenting is hard. Turning the soil of a soul is hard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm dealing with my little Caleb right now, my two-year-old, and he is very difficult sometimes. Oh, my gosh. We have a two-year-old. We know. (laughs) (laughs) He cried God has perfectly suited me in place where I am for this child. There's no one out there who could do a better job, no matter how great they do with their own children. As much as I struggle, I'm the one who's supposed to be their dad. So it is beautiful. And there is immensity. Uh, it's just, a yeah, it's a wonderfully beautiful thing. Every soul is important. Every soul is worth it. And I never tire of saying as well, I know you guys do as, as missionaries, but so much of the world is is hinging on the soul's ability and willingness to enter the theodrama, the stage of life, and proclaim their lives, proclaim their words that God has given. So I'm with you. It's um, I wish and I, I hope that many parents take their role seriously and soak up the immensity of the job that they have in its positive light because we don't want to drown under it either. Yeah, well, and I think that's something that this is a message that needs to be talked about even more today because we live in a culture that's so much focused around uh, career and job success in a society where the pressure's on 
both spouses to be uh, to be climbing the corporate ladder. And sadly, it ends up that uh, the, the parenting gets outsourced. And so I think, yeah, in a particular way today, it needs to be it needs to be talked about more than ever the the importance of being a parent and the the necessity it is to to lean in as a parent into your lives of your children and to really buckle down to the task of raising well turned out adults who can go on and change the world to whatever corner of the world that they're meant to go or called to go to. God has said over and over again in different ways, no, the human soul is meant for mission, right? And that mission can only be given by people we trust, by people who love me. That is the the missing key today. When my child hears from me, their dad who loves them, and hopefully they believe that, when they know God has a great mission for you, even if it's hard to understand, even if you think you're not worth it or you're not the right person, there's a trust and they're willing to go out and step out and say, you know what, maybe dad's right. And they, they believe in themselves. I don't want my kids to believe in their skills. I want my kids to believe first in God. I want them to believe in their mother and father who love them to the end. And through those persons, to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. You can all acquire new skills. I got a very late start in life. Very late start in life. I remember getting a high school and this particular high school had every child had all these skill sets. This guy's a black belt and this one's a, a lifeguard and this one speaks five languages. And it was, and here I was, I had none of that. But what I did have was a mother who loved me and I trust her. And she said, you're meant for great things. See the difference. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It makes me think of, um, there was actually an article or a book. I can't remember what I was reading, but the effect of, um, mothers on their children and they talking, they're talking about like, I think it's Roosevelt and these other, um, big, figures who all had this strong mother behind them and it, it, it was inspiring and it, it does it does speak to if somebody has confidence in you and what you can do you can do much more than you can even dream of that's right great figures never said well i knew i was a great uh, typist so it's someone behind them who loves them through the worst parts of themselves I need to give up because I can't. The person who loves us behind us says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Why? Because you're loved. It's Mm -hmm. not you can because you, you know, you've trained hard. It's because you're loved. And they don't need to say it. We experience it. We know it and we own it. And that's what moves us forward. God's message of the scriptures is not, I'm going to give you a skill set, Moses, get going. It's no, I'm with you. Right? That's the whole point. I'm with you. Well, with us. Who can be against us? Sound familiar, right? And in here in parenting, we can say, well, my children can say quite literally, if mom and dad are with me, I can do, I can do that. Right? And that's yeah. early on, early on, actually, parental figures, are, our children will say, hey, mom and dad were great figures for God himself. Mom and dad showed me what God is actually like. God mm-hmm. is one who's always, no matter what, no matter where I am, with me. And that's what we want them to learn. I have a couple of different questions, but do you, do you want to continue on the same thought? Uh, I just blanked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just, what you're saying also makes me think of, um, I, well, 
I guess it, it goes back to um, what what Gerhard and I are doing and what you're doing, but it all starts in the family, right? And uh, I was watching this movie, actually it was on Netflix, uh, called Case for Christ. It's based on a book by the same name. And I don't know if you've watched it. I haven't seen it. I recommend it. it, it there, there's a there's a part in the movie, and he's searching. He's he's trying to he's trying to find out um, if this person Jesus actually existed, and um, if he resurrected, and so on like that. And he, he's taking a very journalistic approach. He's interviewing psychologists and doctors and so on like that. And he has a lot of information, and um, that that is supporting um, the fact that Jesus Christ actually did die and resurrect. Um, but he's having a lot of trouble just accepting that. And um, he goes to see this one psychiatrist and she's an atheist or an agnostic or whatever. And um, he's asking, he's just pummeling her with questions. And uh, at some point she, she looks at him. She's like, do you have a problem with your father? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but but it, that, and he does, he has a problem with his father. And um, he, uh, shortly afterwards, or I don't know what the time frame is, uh, his father passes away. And he has a lot of regret and a lot of resentment um, against his father, who he didn't have a good connection with. And um, that evening after the funeral, he goes up into his father's study and he opens an album. And it's an album of all his articles that he's written as a journalist. Oh, wow. Oh, and it's wow. his father just keeping track of all, all the things that he's written. He had no idea that his father loved him so much. Yeah. And uh, just at that moment, his, just, his heart melted. He went back to his studio. He looked at all the research he did, and he just broke down. And for me, I, I found those two events like inextricably connected because to understand a father's love is impossible if you don't have a father who loves you and if you can't even imagine or if you have that sort of that that break that that um how do i say that that hurt that stops you from understanding that um that you can have a father that loves you um as you are and so for me the idea of reaching out to families um supporting families supporting marriages um, is is inextricably linked to building up our society, building up also um, uh, it's it's the it's the root and the base of evangelization, basically. And it's no accident that John Paul II will call you know marriage the primordial sacrament, meaning of course that in the beginning the first connect you have with this thing called God is this understanding and understanding but experience of love in the family and it kind of like again it adds a little bit of weight again to to our parenting i mean um <laughs> just practically speaking you know the other day it's like i'm, I'm really tired and here's my two-year-old crying over and over again i don't know why i fed him i've done everything i could and he's still whining why won't you stop whining it's just like i'm not capable of doing this i'm not capable of loving you <laughs> um that's when the other parent steps in but uh, but definitely there's there's some moments when um you feel like wow i am so insufficient <laughs> so what if as you observe society and uh, now that you've been married and had a family for a while like what do you feel is one of the biggest needs for families today well, the biggest biggest family today, today. And, and, like, and, and, and practically speaking like i'm um, just like uh um how do i say like what do you feel that families could have that would make them function better. Specifically, with marriage. Uh, the church has said it that strong marriage and strong families, and that's so true. 
But you get that way by the couple, both spouses decided. And what is that thing? The couple decides that they're going to fight for a great marriage. Right? It's the decision to say, we're not just going to hope we have a great marriage. We're not just going to do little things here and there. And, you know, these are good practices to have. It's to actually take up the fight and say, no, we're going to fight against the culture if we have to. We're going to fight against all the advice if we have to. We're going to fight the worst of ourselves if we have to, to have a great marriage. Because great marriages are powerful. Great marriages are powerful and they produce powerful families, great family lives. And especially the evil one, the devil hates that. He hates that. So like a roaring lion, as St. Peter says, he's going to be looking for ways to bring down that marriage, bring down that couple. You want to get to children? You don't want to get to the next generation? Bring down the couple. You want to get to the couple? Get between them. Remember, diabolos, the devil, means one who throws things asunder. He separates them. He throws them apart. That's what he's going to try to do in the marriage. He's going to try to get between you two. And that thing could be finances. It could be sexuality. It could be morality. It could be time spent together. How do we spend our time together? So that's the first thing is, look, you have to fight for an amazing marriage. That's the first thing. The second thing is that when it comes to our parenting, we have to be intentional about our parenting. We can't just say, oh, we'll look at our parents and how they did things. Hold on. Even if you come from a family that where the parents did a great job, they did a great job in their context, in their time, in a very different society. Mm-hmm. Now the task comes to you both. It comes to Kyle and I and other marriages out there to look at where we are, not just where we live. Is it city? Is it rural or whatnot? But the time in which we live, the pressures of society and what they are, we look at that and say, how can we be intentional about having a great family? How can we be intentionally become great parents? And that's what this thing called Me and My House is all about, this project that Evango has been working on for two and a half years. Yeah, so tell, tell us about this project because uh, we were given access, the, the, the sneak peek to it, and we started uh, working through it. And it's a fascinating project that you're working on, and um, we're Joss and I are really excited to sink our teeth more into it. And, and we really think that this is something that can be uh, a huge benefit to to marriages, to families, um, and not just the like the, a, a theological background on marriage and family, but actually a, a very practical look at um, how do you make your marriage stronger, how do you make your family better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we talked the principle that we assume parents want to be good parents, right? I mean, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, parents want to be better parents. Yeah. I mean, I haven't met one recently who said, no, I actually want to be a bad dad. I, I think yeah. Work. Yeah. Start say, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have these kids and I wish I wasn't here. But <laughs> <after that. laughs> I think that's all of us at different points in life. <laughs> <laughs> so what was okay, here's the mother, here's the father. Uh, they're struggling, but they want to be better. That's huge. So we're going to help you with tips and strategies and the why. We're going to help you to up your parenting game. So the, the opening principle is it's positive. It's not, oh, you're really terrible at this. You need help. It's not that at all. It's you love your kids, but you're struggling and you can make it better. We're here to help you. So for us, that was a that was a very important first step. This isn't about berating yourself, beating yourself up. 
This is you know, why me, even though we feel like that sometimes. This is about, okay, I want, if I'm willing to try, if I'm willing to hit the play button, I can learn something in the next five minutes that can help me to parent better, easier, faster, all those things, right? So that was the premise. That's where we started from. As you were creating the videos, what's one of the tips that you felt would be something that you really wanted everybody to hear? Oh, there were so many. They were so many. I'm sure there. I'm sure there is. So I, I guess I, how do I get more specific? So what what, what would be your your one top tip to improving and strengthening a marriage that we can walk away from tonight? <laughs> uh, and one and one top tip for improving as a parent. Okay. Okay. Top tip to improving parenting. Yeah is to prepare. And what I mean by that is we all know, we get to know our children. They're new to life, but we are not. And we can see the struggles we're having with our children every day, every day. So for example, one of my preteens right now, they're consistently following in, falling into the same bad habit, consistently. So here's, here's the tip for all the parents out there. You know the bad habit, that's called a vice. You know the vice that your child is going to be doing again tonight, again tomorrow, again the following day preempt it, sit down with your spouse and say, what do we do when this child does this? The first time, the next time we catch them. Okay, what do we do now the second time? What do we do the third time, the fourth, the fifth? And why this is such an important tip is it takes the pressure off mom and dad to come up with that disciplinary tactic to come up with how do we deal with it long before it happens. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, stress goes down. Right. Mm -hmm. I know we're, we're always working on our children, forming them, molding them, trying to get them to bring out the best of themselves. If I know and she knows, oh, he's going to do that another 10 times because habits are hard to break. We know that with ourselves. Oh, I want to lose weight or I want to get better. This It's hard. So he's going to do it many times. What am I going to do? Well, I know. Oh, it's the third time. Oh, yeah. We decided as a couple we're going to do this. So there's no emotion involved. It's. Mm -hmm. It's not a battle of wills. It's not beating ourselves up. Why hasn't our child learned this? We're bad parents. No, it's just, you know, he's fighting bad habits and he needs something ready to help correct them. So it takes that pressure off. It takes the anxiety off and it can deflate some pretty explosive moments that can potentially happen with our children. And it can take away some of the guilt too. Cause I know sometimes like I give a consequence and I'm like, did I, did I want to be that harsh right now? Like, is that appropriate? Like I don't have the time almost to make that decision. Cause I know like, well, especially with a two year old, you have to act immediately. If you exactly. Want to exactly. And we talked about the five second rule in the program, whereas okay. we can radically change parenting, like the ease of your parenting can increase boatloads. If you can respond to the misdemeanor within five seconds, hmm. Okay, we call it the five second rule. We have a video on that. But that means, of course, that you've already discussed ahead of time what the consequence is going to be. So you can unemotionally, passionately just set in motion the thing you already have prepared. Right? So my two year old does something on the table. We know he does every day. I can say, oh, oh I can't believe Caleb did that again. Off we go. Right? And he's running slowly. So that's, that's the biggest tip I have right now for this show, at least without diving more in for parents, right. give yourself time, give yourself ahead of the game, ahead of the moment, what the consequence is going to be the third yeah. time, the 10 times, the more ingrained it is, the more obviously you're going to have to uh, prepare for that. So, yeah. And I think, yeah. And particularly with young kids, like the one thing we heard, uh, I think it was from Dr. Ray Randy is like, mm -hmm. 
it's not that the discipline's difficult, it's the repetition that kills you. Because <laughs> it's like you have to do it a yeah, million so times true. before the answer sinks before it finally sinks in. Which we find with toddlers, like especially that the, the the repetition is like, are they are they even understanding? Are they getting this? True, true. <laughs> we um, so so I mean like we learn in language, right? They don't want to come out of the womb saying I know how to speak English, but we just saying things so many times they go, oh, I know what that means. Discipline is very much the same thing. They're doing they should not be doing. Over time, they will realize, oh, mom doesn't like that, <laughs> and I don't like what happens following when she doesn't like that. Therefore, I learn, and I'm going to slowly start to change my ways. I guess that also presupposes that like they want you to like them. Like if if there's a good relationship to start with, you know, like I think that's the the behind the discipline too is that's that right. they they want to have a good relationship with you. And we talk about that in the program. The more that you spend your your, your time, parents is different as you know, as you. So when so you wait that very limited time to build affection, it makes disciplining those blips, those moments, ten times easier. Mm-hmm. Because for kids, they see it like a bank account or maybe like math class for us who went through high school, right? They say, okay, if my relationship with mom and dad is at a zero, it's just neutral. Well, when I get in trouble, I'm now at minus one. Right? They don't feel supported in minus one. There's always on, you know, walking on thumbtacks when it's minus one. But if you're working on affection with them throughout daily life, leaving a note for them that says, I love you, talk again, back to the love languages finding ways to show them that you love them, they're going to say, I have a plus one relationship with mom and dad. Right? So when the the conflict happened, the outburst, we're not in the negative. We're not worried about oh, a place in the family. Saying, oh, I don't like that happened. Well, mom and dad didn't like that happen, but we can quickly recover and get back to family life, which is what we all mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Affection has to be there as kind of like the undergirding, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. The foundation, yeah, for for the background. Like they have, to, I think there's a well, it's attachment theory, I guess. Like um, I'm trying to think of a book. It's it's escaping me, but um, she says that um, there's a question in a moment of conflict. Do you still care for me? And I think like that's the same for when there's a conflict in terms of like your child is misbehaved. It's sort of like there's like an inner turmoil in the parent to say like to comfort your child and then discipline them at the, at the exact same time. It's sort of like, OK, which one do I do first? OK, I discipline you, like give you a little slap on the wrist and then I like comfort you. It just seems so strange. But it, I don't know. It, it, it Like both of those emotions are happening at the same time. That's right. And I, I, different people go the other way, too, where discipline never enters into the equation. And people get so frightened about correcting their child that they're slowly becoming little tyrants who control the world. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. that's dangerous too. Because what will happen very quickly is other parents and their children will not want to be around my child. That's yeah. You're yeah. mm-hmm. at real time where we've had to ourselves or I've seen or other parents remove their children from other kids because there is no discipline there. Mm-hmm. The child does something wrong. They- Basically, are cuddled and cuddled. Yeah, I've seen that too. So, like, are you saying that like kids will come visit your house and then you find yourselves disciplining the other the other person's kids? We have situations where we're all the same park. Okay. And another Billy, I love using the name Billy for my example. (laughs) Billy throws sand at my child's face. Yeah. And I look over at the other parent to see what's going to happen. I don't want to berate their child. It's not my child. But what I've seen this happen real too many times. The parent says, Oh, you didn't know that would hurt their, you know, their eyes. 
So, oh, yeah. Uh, this must have been hard on you, too. No, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sand in my child's eyes. Yeah. That hurts. Now, maybe a child doesn't know that once, but twice, three times. No. What happens, parents? We have this innate sense to protect our children. So we will remove our kids from that situation. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to. That's mm-hmm. part of our goal. That's part of our plan. We have to protect our children until they're ready to face the world. So we can go the wrong way here. We can say, no, no, no. It's all about affection. It's not. Affection is the soil, but we're going to make adjustments as the, the flowers are growing to help them stand tall. And that's called discipline, right? Yeah. You have one of these large plants, like the sunflower plant. Very often they grow too quickly and they need, you need to actually support it with these sticks on either side, right? Mm-hmm. Good soil, yes. But discipline helps them keep the right, uh, I guess, growing in the right way. Growing in the right direction, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's very clear. <laughs> I have, um, here's a case scenario. I have, um, so I have a two-year-old. My sister has a one-year-old. And this one-year-old is fixated. Or sorry, I have. I, I also have a one-year-old. Um, okay. And so I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And my sister has a one-year-old. And um, her one-year-old is fixated on my one-year-old. And every time he comes over, she hugs him. It's not affectionate. It's maybe affectionate, but it's very mischievous. And she knocks him over and it happens almost every 10 minutes. And, you know, we're there for several hours and 20 times I have to pull her off my son. And, um, we did that. Uh, I, I, my sister and I were talking like, what do we do? How do we stop this from happening? Because it's just, it's upsetting to us. It's upsetting to, to, to all, my all son. parties involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of recommendation do you have? Children. Maybe innocent at first, but sometimes it escalates. Um, one of the things Kyle and I have learned to do over the years is to say quite loudly enough for the other parents to hear, because sometimes they want to tune out. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with that kind of thing at home. They certainly don't want to deal with it when they're visiting. We'll say in a loud enough voice, oh, we Sullivans don't do that in this house. And you can have a softer voice when you do it, meaning it doesn't sound harsh. <laughs> but you're taking, you're removing your one-year-old, oh, we don't, we don't do like that in this house. Hug should never hurt right? And you do that enough times, at the very least, mom and dad are going to cue in. They're like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we've had, very many families, a lot of families who have older children can tell you they've had to do something similar. Well, how do I not alienate my friends or family, whoever they are, but deal with the situation and keep my kids safe? I don't want my kids thinking, uh-oh, children are allowed to come over and hurt me, and it's okay because mom and dad are worried about offending people. Mm. That's not good. In the program, we talk about what our children need, and one of the first things is safety. It's safety. Yeah. Our children have to know that they're safe with mom and dad. Not that they're, mm. you know, oh, someone's come over, and I guess that goes out the window. Mm. Little things like that. Speak in a loud voice. Let the parents know. I, I had a couple of years ago, I was at a park. And the parents were a little bit away from the park, so they weren't there watching their kids. And this one child kept walking over to my two-year-old who I had with me and just trying to destroy anything they were building up. <laughs> and that's hard for a parent to watch. So I had to walk over, and I had to take this little child by the hand, and I spoke in a loud voice. Oh, it's time for us to go. We need to find your mom and dad. We don't do that to people's sandcastles. You know, and it took three or four times before these parents paid attention. Wow. But at a certain point, I, I have to protect my own child. My child has a right to be there as well, to go to the park, to build a little sand castle, and be left alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reasonable. 
Yeah, I've had that experience, another experience where I went to a mom's group for the first time and this one kid um, decided that he didn't like my two-year-old and right. he was two as well and he just kept coming over and hitting him over the head with a truck. <laughs> like that happened like first time I was like, whoa, okay, oops. Um, and then the second time it's like, okay. And then the third time I'm like, I need to like, I, I was like literally pushing this child off of my child, like stay away from him. And I was saying that out loud, like, Take away from my kid, you know, and uh, and I'm thinking like, where's the parent? What about like, what are other people saying? You know, like I have to like follow my child around every everywhere he's going because his kids kind of come around and him over the head over the head with a truck. I'm thinking like, what's going on here? <laughs> normal, what on earth? <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, and I and spoke to the other parents about it, but everybody is afraid to speak to the to the to the the parent uh, the child's mother because they're thinking like, oh, that's going to be an awkward conversation. So actually, nothing happened. Nobody nobody stepped in, and I, I'm thinking like, and still like, I mean, now the situation is fine and everything, but I I, I was shocked like that nobody nobody was willing to step in or even afterwards to to reflect and say like, what could could we have done so that this didn't happen? You know. Um, so I think there's there's not only like within a family sometimes there's a fear of discipline, but there's a fear of just speaking about discipline. I don't know. It seems strange. Discipline has a bad word in our culture. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know child psychology that has come out. I've been challenged myself many times. Patrick, could you use a different word for discipline because it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely not. In the ancient world discipline is how you become the great. It's how you become, you know, trained and ready for commitment. I'm not afraid of that word, and I don't think any parent should be. We want our children to be great because we already see their greatness in them. So discipline is putting up the boundaries, the training schedule. We talk about house rules and character rules in this program. Little things we can do that go a long way to help forming our children, and that is actually called discipline. Mm. So I agree with you. I wish parents were, you know, at least dip their toe in here and see how far from being something taboo. Yeah. Be this thing called discipline. You want your child to get to the next guess what the first thing they're going to have to undertake when they get a trainer. <laughs> it's called discipline. Yeah. Yeah. yeah best schools, it's called discipline. Right. So even the word disciple, when we talk about the scriptures, what is Jesus talking about? No, you have to be the kind of person, the kind of student who trains themselves in the way. So important. And I think we've lost that somewhere along the, the way in the last 15 years when it comes to parenting. So me and my house as a program is trying to recover that. Don't be afraid of that word. Dive in and you're going to be so thankful. And I think other parents will be as well. They're going to be mm-hmm. so thankful. Your children seem disciplined things. Yeah. Yeah. So pulling back, like, or not pulling back, but pulling upwards from the, the parenting into the, the married couple. What, what would your what would your tip or advice be for married couples to help them stay united and strong and really pushing for that that greater that vision for a greater family that in a greater marriage that I think all of us everyone starts with when they get married but sadly I think a lot of people uh, lose the vision over time so what, what would your what would your advice or tip be for that Oh you you, you said it. Said it. Said it has to consistently, whenever they can, return to their primary dream for their marriage and family. And I, we mentioned that uh, that show, Joyfully Big, to say, go back to the beginning. 
when it's hard, go back to the beginning. We were in love. We had a dream for our family. We had a dream what that would look like. Recover that dream. When you meet up on your date nights, hopefully your, your viewers are, you know, your audience here knows about the value of date nights for the couple, whether that's what we can read something about it. You haven't done yet, but Okay, with something to chat about is to say when you meet up as couple without children around, what was our dream again? Mm-hmm. Hold on. How can we help little Billy live out that dream? Because he's a part of our family. Mm-hmm. He's part of the plan. So how do we help him to see the dream that you and I see so clearly? And so it affects the whole family unit. It affects how we parent. It affects how to get through hard, through the hard times. You know. So that's what I would say. Find time to return to and articulate the dream you and your spouse have for the marriage and for the family. I guess like some people, they haven't maybe even talked about a dream that they have for their family. Like, how do you even articulate that? Because sometimes I think it's easy to come up with something practical. Like, oh, I, I dream that we can, I mean, for us, for example, we're in an apartment, like have a house, you know, and um, like really practical things or like, um, but like when you're talking about a dream, like, like, for example, like what is, can you tell us what your dream is? The easiest way to go about it is basically to go back to the moment when you knew you were in love with this other person. Love is always the greatest lens for finding the dream for your marriage and your, your children. So go back to the moment where you said, wow, I'm in love. And when I reflect on my own life, seeing Kyla, I mean, in Kyla herself, I saw the dream, which is I, I could have a place of peace with this person. I could see us traveling. I could see us having late night conversations. I could see us getting through the most sorrowful events that happen in everyone's life as long as we're together and leaning on each other. Mm. Um, for us, it was all those things. The dream, when I look at it through the, the lens of love, it's it's all of those things and, and even more. To make it even more practical for people who are saying, okay, Patrick, I still don't get it. Ask yourself, what kind of family are we? Sometimes that helps, the family culture. So I have friends who are all about judo. They say, we're the judo family. <laughs> say, no, we love music. We talk about music. We all play through instruments. We're the music family. I'll <laughs> ask everyone, what's, what is your family? What culture do you have? The culture is the solidification of that dream. It's the dream that you're willing to live out. That's what your family culture is. So maybe you've already, I mean, you never talked about the dream before, but you're already, you can say right now, yeah, we're actually a musical family, the music, right? And that grown out of our willingness to live out our dream. You see that? Mm-hmm. However you do it, whether you start with the, the, you know, the primordial moments, you know, looking in the eyes of the one you love and seeing the future through them, or you're talking about right now, the effects of that. What is my family's culture? And if you can nail down the culture, you can work backwards towards the dream. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, no, that's yeah, really very, helpful. Yeah, it's a very good. Um, and I think that's something that I think it's also it's one where that vision, I think, can be overcomplicated. Uh, a lot these days because there's so many different uh, seminars, talks, resources on leadership and vision and this, that, and the other thing. And particularly for marriage and family, I think there's uh, many times a big disconnect between, you know, leading my team or leading my company or like leading in the workforce versus leading in the family. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that um, the husband and the wife, like one's the designated leader and the other's purely the follower, both lead just in their own ways. But I think you can't lead if you don't have a vision for where you want to go. And I think you gave probably the most succinct and probably one of the 
best summaries I've heard in terms of finding that vision for your marriage and for your family. And then once you have that vision, then, then the leadership kicks in uh, and I don't, it's not as complicated as I think most people think. It's really not. It's really not. And the key, yeah, I like yeah. talking about there, you know, there are many great seminars on leadership and various things you can find, podcasts, wherever. But the one thing that is always left out, you should, until they talk about family life, is this thing called love. The moment you try to take a leadership program and apply it to the family, well, you're going to have the problems. Why? Because the people I'm dealing with are not employees. Dealing with are those I love. And that changes everything. Get the love right, and then you can get the leadership right. So well done. That, that was good for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. And uh, we're running down on time. Uh, so, Patrick, thank you so much for uh, for joining us here on, on the, the G&J show. Joss and I will continue. We'll uh, look at the and work through the remainder of the videos. Right. And right. we'll hopefully cycle back. We'll circle back and have another have you on again and uh, start to go into more detail. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into some of these videos now. You've piqued my curiosity. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I think the in the pre-show, you and I were talking about um, how you and your team want to do something for dads, mm-hmm. and I would love to. Beyond your program, I'd, I'd love to sit down with you and uh, get a couple other guys together and have a conversation around uh, dads and fatherhood and mm. the and being a man in that. Because I think you don't have to go far to find stats that fatherhood and dads are like, have disappeared in society and particularly engaged dads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love to have a conversation with you uh, around that to... Yeah, to wrestle with this topic a little bit more and to try to come up with some, I don't know, something that we can, some sort of takeaway that our listeners and hopefully others can use to to strengthen their, their sense of identity as husbands and as fathers and as men. Patrick, it's been a pleasure to have you on and uh, we look forward to, to chatting again. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode in conversation with Patrick Sullivan. We hope that you've picked up some practical tips that can help you, your marriage, and your family. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us at uh, gnjshow.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review us on the podcast app you're using to listen to us right now. This will help us to reach new audiences. Once again, I'm Gerhard. And I'm Joss, and you're listening to The GNJ Show. Until next time, keep smiling. Keep smiling.